Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Specifically, you are listening to a recording of messages from the Words That Matter series. This is our Lent and Easter 2023 sermon series about the words of Jesus Christ from the cross, the seven words or sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. We truly pray that this series will bless you and deepen your faith and especially deepen your love and admiration for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're mostly going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, uh, chapter 23. If you want to head that way in your Bibles or your device, uh, Luke 23. There are some places there for note-taking inside the program, as always, or doodling, whatever helps you think. Um, um, There's actually research that doodling can help you listen. Did you know that? Depends on your your brain type. Anyway, uh, so feel free to use that. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 as we start this new series, Words That Matter, and consider the different words of Christ from the cross. The first word that we'll consider today is the word of forgiveness from Luke 23. And this, this new series that we're starting uh, the goal, uh, all the way through Easter, we'll, we'll, we'll read about resurrection too, but we're going to have the cross and resurrection on Easter this year, uh, is to really consider all the phrases that Jesus uh, said from the cross. Uh, and one of the traditional names for that is, is words, the words of Christ. They're, they're, they're phrases, but we call them words. So today is the, the word of forgiveness. Uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do are the words that Jesus said. And, and let, let's pray as we come to this word and ask God to prepare us. Uh, Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And you are the one, Lord, who came to earth, fully God, becoming fully man, going to the cross and fully taking upon yourself our sin, our guilt. Lord, through this series and through this message today, would you please teach us and help us through your word? May we grow in in understanding who you are, and what you did for us, and what you are still offering us. May it encourage us. May it deepen our faith. May it convict us to live more uh, more and more for you and your glory in our real daily lives. I pray that the folks hearing this word today, Lord, online, in person, wherever we're at, that this would be a true spiritual act of worship, that we would be praying for ourselves, and that they'd be praying for me, Lord, to rightly declare your word. Help us to hear. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, one thing we're going to do in this series, and I know we just stood for a song, but if you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading for the gospel 
uh, reading from Luke 23. Stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel from Luke 23, starting with verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led astray to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This seems like a strange scene, right? Uh, this is the Son of God. He's been healing people. He's had huge crowds. He's done amazing miracles in these three years that preceded this. Whose plan is this that this wonderful teacher, this perfect man, would end, on the end up on the cross? Well, in, in, a, in a way, it's the Roman plan. In a way, it was the Jewish religious leaders' plan. But in another big way, it's God's plan that he was there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit knew that this day was coming. Knew that his crucifixion was coming. We see this in Jesus' ministry. He told his, his followers that this was coming. Now, it gets even bigger than that. I want you to, to contemplate that God, who lives outside of time, when he made the choice to create us and knew that we would use our freedom to do that one act of unrighteousness that happened in the Garden of Eden that led to our, to our broken nature, when he, when he knew that that would happen, he also knew he would choose to save us. He knew the consequences of our sin. So God chose to create, but God also chose to save, and, and God knew the only way to do it would be through his own sacrifice. It's a deep thing to contemplate, right? So whose plan is this anyway? At a human level, the Roman soldiers think they're in charge of their job that day, and for them, they're just killing a few more guys, right? The religious leaders are patting themselves on the back and taking opportunity to make fun of Jesus because they think they've gotten rid of this pesky false teacher, according to their eyes. But all the while, there's a much bigger plan going on, right? God is choosing, has chosen in eternity past to come and get rid of the obstacles that, that keep us from being united with him. There are real problems on our end as human beings, right? I don't, need, I don't think I need to convince people of sin. I think that's one thing that people just know. It's out there, right? We know that we, we are imperfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in the scriptures. And, and, and we can't just unite with God on our own. It just doesn't work. We can't do it. We don't have the ability in ourselves. We are broken. We are sinful. We are mortal. There are things that keep us from the divine presence. There are things that keep us from eternity, and we are dust, and to dust we shall return unless there's a God who really wants to do something about it. And good news is there is, right? So the sin and the death and the evil that is very real. It, 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 God cannot just wave a wand and make it go away. It has to really be dealt with. 
It has to actually be dealt with. God is a God of reality, of what is actually happening. And so he actually had to come into our reality and deal with our real consequences. And so what we are seeing here, this, this plan of the cross, was God making the way for us to experience forgiveness. By being broken on the cross, he's coming to heal our brokenness. By being people who are, are deserving of death, the wages of sin is death, he's actually taking our, our death upon himself there. So something more than just physical suffering and physical death is happening on the cross. There is a great spiritual transaction happening on the cross through the perfect son of God, Jesus, right, who was fully human too. He's taking, taking our punishment and he's making a way for us to have his righteousness. This was the plan of God because this is what was necessary for us to have what God wanted, to have relationship with him, to have eternity with him, to be able to be in his divine presence, to be able to have his Holy Spirit with us while we live here on earth. This is what was needed. This is God's plan. And God knew it was a plan for a long, long time. How long is hard for us to contemplate. But we can see in the Old Testament scriptures or the Hebrew scriptures that this was God's plan. We can see what we call prophecies. Prophecies, right? There, there are fulfilled prophecies. So the first prophecy or, or scripture that's really giving us an idea that something is coming down the road, that, that we Christians look back and see, and we do this because Jesus taught the early church, you should look back into the Hebrew scriptures and see me. They all point to me in some way. Jesus taught the disciples that. You can, you can look it up in Luke, uh, Luke 24, I think, uh, where he's walking with disciples after the resurrection, uh, and they don't know it's him yet, and he, he, he starts teaching them how all the, the Old Testament scriptures uh, point to him. And so when we look back, even back into Genesis, we can see foreshadowing or prophecies about Christ, even back right after, right after the fall uh, that happened in the Garden of Eden. When God is giving out the curses to the, the serpent and to, to Adam and to Eve, we see in Genesis 3.15, we see the first foretaste of what we call the gospel. And it's just a strange line, and it's kind of a throwaway line if you don't know what's going on. I, nothing in Scripture is actually throwaway lines, of course. But it seems just out of place that he's saying, you know, that someone will come from the seed of Eve that will step on the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bite his heel. What in the world does that mean? Right? Someone's going to step on the serpent, crush the head of Satan and evil, but that evil one's going to get the heel. And serpents, of course, inject poison, don't they, right? Well, that's the first prophecy we see of Christ, who is going to come and step on the head of the evil one, but is going to suffer as he do, does do that, right? And that is the cross. We see that from that, that ancient scripture way back in Genesis 3. We see it in Psalms, uh, like Psalm 22, which Jesus is going to quote from the cross. We'll get to that eventually in this series. But Psalm 22, a Psalm of David, was written 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. It was written so long before that crucifixion had not yet been invented, Right? I mean, it's a thousand years. That's a long time, okay? A thousand years before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus quotes that psalm from the cross as if to say, pay attention to this. What you heard back then and what's been passed down through the ages is now happening, right? And it spoke of the servant of the Lord in Psalm 22. Check it out yourself today. And one of the things it says is that their hands and feet will be pierced. 
That was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Crucifixion hadn't been invented. It was, a, it was invented not by Rome, but by another empire. And then Rome, I guess you could say, perfected it, if you can perfect something so evil. And they did it at this time, probably they'd done tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands before they kill Jesus on the cross. They, they killed people every day, particularly at holiday times. They, 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 they knew people would be streaming into Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem wasn't the only city that they used crucifixion in, of course, but they, they liked to remind people who was in charge. So the way they would do it is, you know, crosses were in public. You got killed by the side of the road. So that when people were coming into town, they, could, they would see naked people dying on the cross. And the way you die on the cross is you're asphyxiated. You, you get to a point where you're unable to, to breathe. Even though you're surrounded by air, your diaphragm is, is holding the weight of your body and you can't breathe. You drown, in a sense, by air or the inability to get air in. And, and, and people have to walk by as they go into Jerusalem every year of Jesus' life that he went to the feast. He walked by that. That's deep to think about, isn't it? At what point did he realize that that yes, that is what I came here to do. The Son of God, who'd become fully man, knew that that was what he came to do. We can see it not just in Psalm 22, but also in the Old Testament and other places like Isaiah 53, the, the great suffering servant chapter. Uh, it, it, it's called the suffering servant. You go read it sometime. We don't have time for the whole thing today, but it. It, it, it talks about the suffering servant who will be crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions, our sins. This is, again, written 600, 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it's this picture of a, the chosen one, the suffering servant. Israel at the time almost didn't know what to do with this chapter because their Messiah was, of course, going to be a conquering king, which Jesus did conquer. But they didn't really, could Isaiah 53 be talking about the Messiah? The Messiah is not going to suffer. Remember when Peter, you ever hear the story when Peter told Jesus, you're not going to suffer because Jesus had told them, I'm going to have to suffer. And Peter took him aside and said, no, no, don't worry about that. What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus knew just how important this plan was to come and suffer the wrath that we deserve. It had always been his plan. Not just a thousand years before, 700 years before, but from whenever he chose to save us, he was committed to this. And so when we look back, when you look back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not just, you know, a book we can say we're done with. This is, this is a book, it's a living book of God's word, the Hebrew scriptures, and they, they all point to Jesus in some way, whether it's in a thematic way or a very specific way, whether we can see that, oh, Jesus is the great shepherd that, you know, Psalm 23 talks about, or he's the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 talks about. He, he's... He is the, the real true temple, that, that, that the physical temple was just a picture getting us ready for. I mean, there's so much there that points to Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. And he is ultimately the one who came and stepped on the serpent, but the serpent did bite him. Right? And he knew that was going to happen. So Jesus is there on the cross. And with his first word, Jesus makes a request of the Father. Now, if any of us were there, right, we would be, Father, get us down from here. Or, Father, annihilate these Romans and bring the angels, right? The scriptures tell us that he could have had legions of angels come and rescue him. We don't hear him ever saying those words. 
come rescue me. What do we hear? We hear the word of forgiveness. The first word from the cross is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who is he asking for? Father, forgive them. Is it just those right there? You know, the Romans who just nailed him to the wood? Yes. Is it for those in Jerusalem who just, you know, uh, a, a few days before celebrated his arrival, some of them laying down palm branches and coats, but then some of them just going along with the crowd and saying, crucify him, crucify him. Is he saying, forgive them? Yes. Is it for us today? Yes. Jesus is saying, I'm giving my life as the the way that they can be forgiven. Now, part of what was supposed to happen on the cross or what the Romans wanted to happen on the cross and other empires who used the cross is you get people up there and it takes a while for them to die. A day is short, sometimes days. Um, And one of the things they're kind of expected to do because they're, they're captive on that cross. You can torture them from down below with spears or whatever you want, throw rocks at them. You know, the crowd could do that, and they did. Uh, so one of the things that was expected of you, you're a criminal, that's why you're up there, confess your crimes. Admit, admit your guilt. That's what people are supposed to do, and maybe then people will throw less rocks at you. Or, or scoff at you less or whatever. And what, what do we see Jesus do? He doesn't have that option. He, Jesus can't confess sins that he has done. He can't confess crimes. He has done nothing wrong. So what does he confess? He confesses your sins and my sins. That's what he's doing here. They are in need. They don't even know how deep their need is. Father, forgive them for they do not know. We do not know until God opens our eyes with faith. We do not realize that, that the, the wages of our sin is the death of Christ. Our, we are guilty of the blood of Christ. It's the only way we're saved. I don't care if you were born into a church family and grew up and you've, you know, you've done a lot of good deeds and you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout or whatever. And you're like, well, I am not that bad. I do not need the blood of Christ to, for, to forgive me. Yes, you do. This is how, this is how deep our, our sinful nature is and how broken we are. This is the only way we can be made new through his deep act of sacrifice for us. So he's confessing our need, our ignorance, our brokenness on the cross. Confessing what we didn't even know we needed to admit to. Now, consider this. I mean, God is sovereign, meaning God gets to do what God wants to do because God is in charge and we are not. Okay, so his terrible death, if God wanted to use his sovereignty and say, you know what? I promised I wouldn't flood the world a while ago, but they just killed my son on the cross. I think it's just, I'll just do lights out. Maybe that's what you and I would do, right? I mean, they're doing the worst thing possible you could do to a parent. Kill their child. So his terrible death could have been used as evidence like, okay, we've done this experiment for quite a while now. I sent you the best I have to offer. 
You did this to him. Now annihilation. That makes logical sense to me in a way. But thank goodness I'm not God, right? Because God is way, way more gracious than that. That's not what the Godhead wanted. That's not what Jesus wanted. He, he, he came here knowing that this would be the terrible death he would die and that he would use our worst to do his best to forgive us. He is doing this very mission to make the way for us to have new life and he knew the only way he could do that was to give his life in exchange for us, to, to, to transfer his righteousness by absorbing all our, our brokenness and sin upon himself. This is the way that we can enter into life with God and everlasting life. This is the way. So compare, if we need more evidence, we, we can just compare the human words spoken to Jesus' words, right? The, the human response is, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. It, it's good to know that it's not just our age that's cynical and mean. <laughs> human beings have always struggled with this. With a, with a blindness, with a self-centeredness. You know, they, they, they cannot see, and sometimes we cannot see our own meanness by protecting ourselves, which is what the rulers thought they were doing. They thought they were protecting their people. And they're crucifying a man who's not even guilty of anything. Right? And here, the irony, or I don't even know if that's the right word, my kids tell me I use irony wrong, so I won't use it. Uh, but the, it's, Jesus isn't even interested in saving himself. They're almost like daring him to save himself. And he came to do exactly the opposite, right? And that's how blind we can be sometimes. Is we're, people, like in this world, think God is judgmental, and he's exactly the oppo opposite. He's gracious. Is there judgment? Absolutely. Is he holy? Absolutely. But he is gracious and loving as well. And so what they, what they don't realize, what we don't realize until our eyes are opened with faith is that he is choosing to, to save us as we're scoffing at him. He can't even save himself. Oh, yes, he can. He's choosing not to in order to save us. He chose to become human to accomplish what he could not do for ourselves. At this point, he'd already lived a perfect life. He'd fulfilled the law that we could not fulfill. He was tempted in every way, but never sinned. And now he is the perfect sacrifice. He is God in flesh who is taking our wages of our sin upon himself. Our meanness, our insecurity, our anxiety, our violence, our evil. He is bearing it all. Father, forgive them. So did, did the Father answer Jesus' request? Yes, but how? Because <laughs> when, when Jesus asked that, the Father in heaven doesn't say, okay, boom, they're automatically forgiven. He, what is happening here and what is happening through the cross and through the resurrection is Jesus is, is making the way for the new start to happen, the new humanity to happen. He's becoming, as Paul said, the new Adam, right? Through, and so, so, yes, he is making the way for people to have this forgiveness. And yes, the Father is going to grant forgiveness for all who will believe in Jesus. There's a false teaching out there that says because of what Jesus did was so great that all sin is forgiven and just automatically. And so therefore all people just go to heaven. That's called universalism. But that doesn't square with the rest 
of the New Testament. And it doesn't honor what, what, what is happening here. It, it, yes, G Jesus' request is honored by the Father, right? But it happens, we connect to that, or we receive that gift through faith. You could read Romans 5.1. We read part of Romans 5 today, but you could read Romans 5.1 that says, we now obtain access into peace with God. How? By having faith in Jesus Christ. So he's done it. He's done everything needed, everything that, that we couldn't do for ourselves. He bore all the sin and punishment and wrath. He defeated death and evil. He rose from the grave. But if we want to receive that gift, that reality, if we want to enter into life with him, if we want to have new, for, new life and forgiveness, we have to receive it by faith. So that's how we need to respond, is by faith. First, by faith. First, by faith. We have to respond and say, I need this, and, and I admit that I need it, and I believe that Jesus did it for me, and there's nothing I could do to earn it, right? So, so the first right response is receiving it, admitting that you need it. And that, that drives us to another response that any of us who have had our eyes open to what Jesus did on the cross, this should drive us to humility, the ground is level at the cross is an old saying, meaning there aren't some people who come super spiritual and, and you know, and they have a higher view or, or, you know, or some people are way worse. It's just we all need it, right? We all need it, him. And so the cross is the great unifying truth. Like, this is why one of the reasons that the early church was so radical, because slaves sometimes led, led meetings, right, with, with rich people in them, because it was not about what your status was in the world. It was about who had what gift and who was able to teach, whatever their status was. Because in the church, we all need the blood of Christ. Right? doesn't matter your background, your last name, what town you live in, what side of whatever border. That does not matter. Right? Because it was all by his free gift. And we all came the same way by admitting we need it. And that is drives us to humility it also as we are humbled it drives us to repentance when we look at the cross we of course have that first big repentance where we turn from living from ourselves to living for god and, and that big first turn into the new life of being a, a follower of jesus we, we repent of saying i've lived life for myself now i must live for god and his glory because god is this good that he that he gave his son to die for us to invite us into his life and i want to live for him and his glory now so the yes it drives us to repentance but the Christian life is one of ongoing repentance. We see this in the life of Paul where he learns even as an older man, he's, he's still saying, I'm the chief of sinners, right? He's still saying, I, there's things I'm learning I need to repent of. Because we know as we grow deeper into the life of Christ that we look and say, all my sin that I do as a Christian, it's even worse in a way because I know how it was paid for. And so I can't wink at sin as a Christian. I'm in a pursuit of holiness, not because I'm trying to earn my salvation because I, I well know how it was earned by him. But I so love him that I, I, I want to go deeper with him. And I want to live a life of humility and holiness and pursue living the best life for him possible as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice, Paul says, to honor him and what he did for me that we could not do for ourselves, right? And so the Christian life is an ongoing life of repentance. And that's a struggle because I have noticed a simple thing in myself, and maybe you've noticed in other human beings, maybe it's just me, but I've noticed we like to be right. And we don't like to admit we're wrong. And repentance is this basic thing of God is right. 
and I am not God, and God, I have fallen short. In word, in deed, and in action, God, teach me. Teach me to turn from your ways. It should drive us to repentance. And then it should drive us to be people who do what he did for us. It should drive us to forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 3, we read, read it all put together this way. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, this is a, that's a deep idea, being basically the chosen of God, the God, you know, the people that now believe in God. He said, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive any complaint you may have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then it does not have, I checked my versions, parentheses, this is optional. It doesn't. It's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. We're to learn deeper and deeper how he forgived us and then as he humbles us, as he teaches us to repent, as we experience his forgiveness, we are, we are offering that to others. So we have to have forgiveness in our lives. That's what it gets down to. And this is one of the great ways we can show the realness of God and the realness of Christ to others. Because humans like to be right and not admit the wrong. Humans don't like to forgive or receive forgiveness. And, and that's something that the church, the people of the church should be really good at. So we, we receive and experience Jesus' forgiveness by faith when we come into relationship with him, right? But real forgiveness, we experience his forgiveness by our relationship with him. Real forgiveness is, it happens in relationships. Real forgiveness is not just a psychological trick. There's a lot of forgiveness talk in our culture, but a lot of it is forgiveness as a psychological trick. Like, you know, it's not relational as the scriptures talk about it. The scriptures say, if I want Christ's forgiveness, I have to believe in him, right? That's relational. And, and he had to do something for me on the cross so that I could have forgiveness. And then he offered it, right? He asked for it. He asked for him, Father. So there's two sides of it, and he's offering and I'm receiving. But there's a psychological trick that's being promoted and giving the label of forgiveness in our culture, which is, if you don't like what somebody did, forgive them. That's just kind of the tagline, right? It's taking up space in your heart, so just forgive them. And I like the sentiment that we need to practice forgiveness, but I don't like separating forgiveness from relationship. Okay? The Lord offers forgiveness, and so should we when it needs to be offered, right? Now, others may not want it. There are others, people who don't want the forgiveness of Christ, so they stand unforgiven. You won't force forgiveness on them. Others may not want the forgiveness you offer to them, but it's to be offered, right? If they, if they don't want it, they don't want it. But the offer stands open. If they come back and back, Jesus says you're actually supposed to just keep forgiving them. Right? But if they do, they do want it, that's great. Right? Forgiveness can be experienced, and then we can move to a deeper place of reconciliation. And I will say, if someone offers you forgiveness, Christian or not a Christian, but you have wronged them, and you don't even want to consider that you're wrong, consider first, I could be wrong but then receive the forgiveness that is being offered you. We have to be willing to bear with one another. And doing what Jesus did for us, 
releasing the complaint that he rightfully had against us. Um, we are to be his people who learn, and with the help and power of his spirit, we learn to release the complaints that we have, even rightfully have against others, offering them forgiveness, whether they receive it or not. Now, I will say God has some abilities we don't have. Hopefully you know that, right? God has some abilities we don't have. I, I can't will myself to forget things. I do forget things a lot, like where I put my coffee cup. Anyway, I think it's in my office. But, uh, I, but things that hurt us, the way God has wired us, is very hard to forget. Okay? So God may separate sin as far as east is from west, but we may have a hard time and it may come back. And we have to learn how to deal with it. Right? We have to learn how to not identify people by something we've forgiven them. But we also can learn, wait, that person really hurt me, and you know, I'm going to have some boundaries and some limits. I've forgiven them. I'm not going to hold that against them, but we're also going to maybe redefine our relationship. Right? So, so sometimes for humans, things don't go back the way they were before. Right? But with God, this is why God's grace is even deeper, we, 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 we've sinned against him in ways we don't even know. And he's willing to invite us into his perfect eternity, right? So, so I would just encourage you, the resources we have are deeper than we realize for forgiveness. And maybe God could do more than you and I could ask or imagine in our lives with other people. And we've seen that in the history of the church where enemies become friends, right? a story about the real story of what happened on the the Soviet side of the Berlin Wall before the wall came down. It doesn't get told very much. Did you know they were having mass prayer meetings in East Berlin? And one of the Soviet guards that was inter uh, uh, interviewed at that time by a Western media outlet, whether he was supposed to be or not, said, we have prepared for a lot of things. One thing our supervisors never prepared us for were prayer meetings. They prayed for walls to be overcome and to come down. They prayed, actually, for their Soviet people who were guarding the towers. For, you know, and God did radical things. The wall came down. Right? It's a picture of what God can do in us. So, friends, let us consider these words. Believe that God has chosen to save us in Christ. To make those who believe in him and what he did truly forgiven and new Colossians 2 starting with 13 says you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision or the unhealth of your heart and your sinful nature and God made you alive with Christ he forgave all our trespasses having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's where your sin is. He knew your sin, your future sin, your present sin. He knew it back then, and it's all there if you've believed in him. Consider this. Jesus is our author. He is our perfecter. He looked at the cross, and every year he went by those crosses. He looked at them, and he knew 
as shameful as they were, as terrible as it would be, he looked through them in a way for the joy that was out there for us. He knew the joy that was set before him. He had to go through the cross to make the way for us to be forgiven. To author new life in our life, he had to go through that. So he looked through the pain and the shame that he was going to experience. And for the joy that was set before him, he said, I'm going to endure the cross for that joy. That joy of making these people new and forgiven. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, dear Lord, Help us never to grow weary and lose heart. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. If we're trying to do this life by our own energy and our strength, we're trying to do the Christian life and do the good things just on our own, Lord. Oh, correct us, Lord. Humble us. Teach us to turn our eyes to you, the author and the perfecter, our Savior. If there are folks here whose hearts are weary, who have situations in their life that are confusing with this whole matter of forgiveness, Lord. May your Holy Spirit tend to all of that in ways I don't even know how to pray. May you move in the hearts of your people. May we be humbled by what you did for us and may we forgive as you forgive us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to that message from our series, Words That Matter. It, in this season of Lent 2023, we have other resources available to bless you and deepen your faith. Uh, we gather for Bible studies throughout the week. Check out PalouseChurch.org for our schedules. Uh, check out uh, the Bible app where many of us do reading plans together uh, focused on what we're learning in this season. You can also join us for soup suppers Wednesday night in person, 6.30 p.m. at the church where we are reflecting and, and listening to people share about the words that, that Jesus said from the cross. We also have nights of peace on Thursday nights during this season at Holy, the Holy Trinity Chapel in Palouse where you can be, be with the Lord in just a quiet time. Uh, and that's anytime from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Thursday nights. So there's lots of resources. Check us, check us out on YouTube.com or the Bible app if you're not uh, a friend of me or uh, our church on there. Check that out just so that you can connect with some resources that bless you if you're tuning into this series. Again, thank you for listening, and we do pray that the Lord blesses you and your time together.